Gospels and join me in turning to the first gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, and we heard those words a moment ago, and we'll be studying those words today, Matthew chapter 6. Now, we've invested the last several weeks of our study simply taking time to get to know God. Our premise is this. We often encourage people, you need to walk with God and talk with God and read His love letter to you, the Bible, and spend time with Him. But we considered that it's kind of uncomfortable when we feel coerced to spend time with someone we don't know that well. I really believe with God to know Him is to love Him, and so we decided we're going to take some time just to better know God. And in Exodus, where we began our study, Moses is speaking with God, and he says essentially, hey God, what's your name? I need to tell people who's sending me. And God introduced Himself to Moses this way. He said, I am. And we began to understand the all-encompassing name found in the name of God, I am. We see the eternality of God in there. And as we've continued in our study together, we've learned that our God is a God that is our sufficiency, our provider, our deliverer, our strength. We've considered that He's our healer. I think all of those elements that we've talked about are kind of like spokes on a tire. And the hub would have to be the reality that God is in control of everything. I would imagine if we took a vote today and said, all right, how many of you, by the way, we're voting Tuesday on other issues. I hope you've been reminded of that. But if we were to vote today and say, all right, how many of you would agree that God is in control? I think that the overwhelming majority, nearly everybody, some people abstain from every vote, you know, but I think nearly everybody would say, yeah, I believe God is in control. And I believe that God is in control. But that does beg some questions. I think it would be a reasonable question, a fair question to wonder, if God is in control, why is the world so out of control? If God is a God of order, why is there so much disorder? And that would be a fair question. I believe another question from the flip side would be, if so many Christians claim to believe that God is in control, why are they so stressed out all the time? They kind of act like they think they're in control. God the Son, Jesus Christ, loves us so much that he took some time to talk to people that would follow him so that they could have a better understanding of what our life is to look like. Wouldn't it be a shame to be a person of faith, but for all intent and purposes, practically our lives resemble that of an atheist? We live as though we believe there's no controlling influence of God in our lives. How many of you have heard of the old television show, Father Knows Best? All right. Well, I am a father and I don't know best. But I have a father who does. He's my heavenly father. And uh, I want you to look as we get started today at verse 32. where The Bible introduces this father to us. In verse 32, the Bible says, After all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly father knoweth that you have need of all these things. I want you to take note simply of that expression, your heavenly father knoweth. Hey, friends. Father knows best when we're speaking of God the Father. And so let's be encouraged today. Let's be helped. And we're going to deal with really a topic by and large today that affects every one of us. And we'll see in response to this matter that we all deal with how God can work in our lives. He's a good God, you know. Our Father, thank you for this day, for the truth of your word, for an opportunity to learn. I pray that you allow this time to serve the purpose of exalting the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that in response you would... Do that work of drawing all men to yourself, Lord. For, for many today, no doubt, that would be a coming to know you as their Savior, accepting you 
and finding the forgiveness of sins. And, and for others, Lord, it might be stepping closer in terms of growing in a walk with you. We need you today, Lord. We concede we're here, but we, we can't do what needs to be done in this moment apart from your work. So use this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, some of the men from our church went motorcycle riding in the desert, and they invited me to go, and I was so very thankful for the opportunity to go. Now, when they invited me, I understood I hadn't ridden a motorcycle in years, and when I did ride a motorcycle, it's not like I was a good rider or anything, uh, but uh, they said, would you like to go? And I said, sure, and they said, have you ever ridden before? And I said, well, sure, and that was honest. I didn't want to give them the impression I was an expert rider, but the answer was simple enough, do you know how to ride? And the answer to that was, yeah, I know how to ride. So we made our way out to the desert, and we started riding together, and, and uh, being a poor rider, uh, the pack began to pull away from me. And then there are muscles you use while riding like that that you only use while riding like that. And so I began to get tired, and as the day went on, the pack began to pull way out in front of me, and, and uh, I began to think, you know, if I drive any faster to try to catch these guys, uh, I no doubt will crash and maybe die, I'll perish in this accident, and, and I thought, that doesn't sound good at all. So my flip side was, but if I don't catch up with these guys, I've been so focused in on their back tires as much as possible, I have no idea where I am, and if I can't find them, I'll never find my way back, and then I'll probably perish here in the desert for lack of water, lack of food, maybe a snake will bite me or maybe there's a, a wild animal out there that will come and get me and ha have you ever noticed how many thoughts the human brain can can deal with in any given moment you know and so I'm driving down the trail factoring all those these things and I came to the conclusion I would rather die in an accident than by way of starvation or thirst. And so uh, immediately the throttle got a little more attention, the pace picked up, and uh, I was driving along, and uh, ultimately I, I had a great big crash and broke myself up a little bit, and, and uh, that's not the part of the story that, that uh, is interesting. But, but not too long before I crashed, I knew I was going to crash. I'm thinking, yep, I'm going down. No pulling out of this one. It's going to be a bad day. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and it was like life slowed down. And in that moment, it just dawned on me, yeah, you're wiping out, man. And you see it coming, and there's nothing you can do. And the bike gets doing all this weird stuff. And, and uh, sure enough, over the handlebars I went and landed on my head in a bush, which is a bad way to land, both on your head and in a bush. I would, I would discourage both of those, but, but I went down. You know, I think we've all had those times in life where we've gotten going a little faster, maybe, than we should be going, trying to keep up with people that really we perhaps have no business even pursuing, and what happens is we get a little reckless, our life gets out of control, and we begin to see problems coming before they actually arrive. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands today, I'm not going to ask how many of you have had times in life when you've been living a little bit too fast, maybe a little bit careless, and you've seen before it arrived the problem you got yourself into, because everybody that's alive, awake, uh, alert, and enthusiastic today would have to confess, yeah, I've had times like that in my life, and the question today is this, what did you do about it? For far too many of us, what we do in times like that is we worry, we worry. That's what most of us do. We worry about different things. We, we deal with our worries in different ways, but worry is something with which we all deal. I read an article recently that said this, for those who worry about safety, don't take a trip by water or air or train because 16% of all accidents occur during those types of trips. Don't take a walk. 15% of all accidents happen to pedestrians. Don't get in your car. 20% of all accidents happen in your car. 
But don't stay home either. 17% of all accidents happen in the home. And it said even when you're at church, you're not totally safe because 0.001% of all accidents actually happen on church property. I would love to give you a message today on how you could avoid all trouble. The message would have to be stay in bed, pull the covers over your head, and hope for the best. But even then, you're not going to avoid all the problems in life because that's just a part of living. You see, a believer, a, a person of faith, is not a mean to worry just because we've been inoculated by saving grace. Worry can cripple the life of a Christian just as it can cripple the life of someone who does not know Christ. In fact, the English word worry that we use, it comes from a German word, wiregon, and the word there means to choke or strangle. Let me tell you what worry does to my life and what worry does to your life. It chokes and strangles us. It gets us in a position where we're not thinking of, of tomorrow in, in the sense of good things. We're, we're stressed out. It chokes the thoughts off. It's mental strangulation. Worry is the emotional denial that God is in control. One author said it this way. Worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, belief in defeat. It is wasting today's time with yesterday's troubles and tomorrow's problems. Again, God the Son, Jesus Christ, He knows us humans very well. And He knows we all have a propensity if, you know, when all else fails, just worry, you know. Get stressed out, little anxiety. He knows that about us. And in the most profound sermon ever given in the history of the world, we call the Sermon on the Mount, given by Jesus Christ, perhaps the most profound verses of the most profound sermon ever given in the history of the world, we find God the Son, Jesus Christ, giving us a great perspective on how to deal with this matter that we all deal with. Getting overwhelmed in life and stressed out. Dealing with that sense that I, I'm, I'm living out of control here. He can help us in this way. He encourages us. And so we find that Jesus Christ, who had his headquarters for his earthly ministries out of a town called Capernaum, he walks out of Capernaum a distance. He walks up a hill and he's on this hill, the Sea of Galilee is down below him, crowds of people are there, and he delivers this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he comes to this point right here, and, and he tries to remind them that, that indeed God is in control. He, he shares with us essentially how we can get out of the paralysis of worry-filled analysis and get on with life. You see, he asserts that God is in control, and when we're reminded of that, some elements emerge in our lives. We, we find this matter of gaining a perspective in life. When you believe that God is in control, you find a perspective for your life emerge that you can't receive any other way. Verse 25, Jesus says this. He said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor, uh, nor yet your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now, there's a sequence of thought here. You see, Jesus is saying, first of all, I want you to know, life is more important than food. Someone broke into my house this afternoon. I'd be eating lunch, and, and a burglar comes in with a gun and says, your lunch or your life? I say, hey, lunch away, man. It's yours. There's, there's a priority here. 
He, he goes on to make the point that it's more than raiment. If that same thief maybe accosted me on my way to my, uh, my car the next day and said, I want your shirt or your life, I'd say, man, you can have the shirt, you know. Take it, it's yours. And I probably would have stretched it out, you know, in the biceps a little. Wouldn't fit him exactly right. But, but at any rate, uh, why would I do that? You, you'd give a criminal your shirt? Sure, if he was going to take my life. There's, there's kind of a sequence here. The Bible's making a point. Listen, life appears at the top of the proverbial food chain here and we need to get that understanding but there's a deeper perspective for us I want you to imagine today that I walked into a Ferrari dealership and thought you know I'm gonna get a new car and I walked on the lot and the salesman would approach me and he would do what all salesmen do he would begin to pre-qualify me in other words he'll ask probing questions to see if I'm worth his time and uh, so you're in the market for a new car yeah I'm thinking of getting a new Ferrari well that's great and uh, uh, so you have a good job? Yeah, yeah, I have a job. Great, great. He'd find a way to get out of me if I'm prepared for a down payment. He would want to know what I think about financing. What would my options be and my opinions of that? And he would begin to probe and probe and probe to pull information out of me. That's part of it. I understand it. But I want you to imagine with me. Now, you're going to have to really work hard to imagine with me on this one. But I want you to imagine. I said, you know what, buddy? Just hold on. A lot of questions. Listen, I'm not worried about a down payment. I'm not worried about no stinking financing options, okay? I'm paying cash for this car. That's, I told you to have to work hard imagining with me, okay? All of a sudden, he changes altogether. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Mr. Chapel, which one do you like, you know? And uh, oh, I kind of like that one. Oh, yeah, I could see you in that car. It, it just it, it says you, you know, and go for a, a test drive and have a good time. And, and uh, we're enjoying it all and come back. And, yeah, I think, I think that's the one I'll get. And he said, oh, you're going to love this. This is a great one. And they hold their value. And it's, it's going to be perfect. And, and, uh, and then I say to him, hey, what kind of gas mileage does a car like this get? And he says, you know, depending on how you drive, maybe six or eight miles to the gallon. And then imagine me saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's slow down here. I mean, with the prices of gas the way they are, I mean, I'd be filling this car up like twice a week. I, I don't know if I can afford to put gas in a car like this. And at some point, somebody would appropriately say, look, man, if you can afford to pay cash for a Ferrari, gas should not be a problem for you. It's like the least of your problems. It's no big deal. I mean, if you're going to be laying down two or three hundred thousand dollars to buy a car, you shouldn't be stressing over gas, whether it's 309 or whether it's 399 or 599. That shouldn't be a problem. You know the perspective that we get when we understand that God's in control? If He made life, these other things are no big deal. If I could buy a car, gas, obviously, you would understand that's, that's just something you'd be able to take care of if you're rolling in that league. And, and the Bible's making the point that if God is capable of making life, He certainly can, can keep life going. It's not a problem for Him. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast thy burden upon the Lord. He shall sustain thee. What does that mean? To keep the life in thee, to keep you going. The Bible says, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Now we might be thinking, well, if I was there in these days, Jesus is up there teaching and we're sitting in a field, you know, what a simple life. Oh, to go back to the simple days, those trouble-free days, those people had no problems. What did they have to worry about? And I would submit to you the day in which Jesus Christ ministered, it's very similar to the day in which we minister. Unemployment was a real problem. In fact, people received their paychecks there on a daily basis because you'd work all day to make enough money to buy one day's worth of food. 
Not everywhere, but in a lot of places in the Bible lands, drinking water was a legitimate, real problem. It was a daily concern. We know that there were shortages of food. In fact, we know that people in the day in which Jesus Christ was ministering, according to historians, they were paying about 40% of their income to taxes. Of course, we pay more than that when you figure all the fees and assessments and all the various ways they, they, they kill us, you know, nickel and dime us. But, but uh, at any rate, I think 40% is too much. The point I'm making is this. These people that Jesus was talking to, they weren't some Pollyanna, prima donna, living in some happily ever after type of place where there were no real problems. They're real people with real problems, just like we're real people with real problems. And, and he lets them know that when you know that God is in control, it brings a perspective to your life, but it brings also a power, a power in life. Now we began at verse 25 and We'll continue in verse 26, and looking there in a moment, you see Jesus established uh, these truths. He was outdoors. He was teaching a crowd of people. The Sea of Galilee is there, many birds there, and, and uh, I can almost uh, just, just see him in my mind's eye. Look at verse 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? So uh, let, let's get the picture. Uh, they're, they're out there, beautiful afternoon, I can just imagine, just below, and, and uh, Jesus, being the greatest teacher of all time, had the ability to use illustrations to teach people. And so he's there, and he goes, like this bird, for example, look at that bird, in fact, the word behold, teatro, put your gaze on that bird, he, he said, look a while on that bird. He said, I want you to think of this bird in relationship to what I'm telling you. These birds, they don't sow or plant seeds. They don't reap or bring in the harvest. And, and they don't uh, put things in barns. They're not worried about accumulating wealth. They have a God-given instinct that leads them about in life. They just do what they do, and they know it's going to be okay. He said, you need to look at those birds. God takes care of them. And he says, in essence, if God can do that for a bird, what do you think he can do for you? Now, I'm about to say something really controversial. If you get nothing today, get this, because it's always fun to get on a good controversy, okay? And I'm nervous to say it, so I'm just going to quote Jesus. So if anyone gets in trouble today, it'll be him. That's a good way to do it. Here's the controversial statement. Are ye, and you remember ye, that little word ye, that's southern for y'all, okay? It's plural for you. Are ye not much better than they? So Jesus said, I want you to look here at this bird, the animal kingdom, and, and he said, I, I want you to understand, you're, you're better. You're better. That's what the Bible says. The word better here is defined as greater in value. And Jesus says that humans are greater in value than animals. In fact, he doesn't just say better, he says much better. You're way better than the animals. Now Jesus isn't saying that animals aren't important. He takes care of animals too. But humans are the crown of creation. And he says, you know, it's important for you to understand that people are special to me. We have a dog at our home, a little tiny dog, a lap dog. I was not excited at all about getting this dog. Uh, my wife's a girl. Both my daughters are girls. Works that way. And uh, we got a dog that's a girl, and it's a girl dog, you know, just a little wimpy dog. But I've come to really be, become fond of this dog. I love this dog. Now, let me tell you what I do for this dog. If you could interview our dog, of course, China, our dog, can't talk to you, but I think China would say, of all the people in our home, China likes me the best. I think she would say that, okay? Um, 
if she ever needs anything, she'll just bark or maybe scratch at a door uh, when I'm around. And I feed, I feed that dog. Uh, never has China gone without food. Never. I, I make sure that China has plenty to eat. We put water in a little bowl uh, so she can go over there and just lap it up. We make sure she has all of that. In fact, from time to time, we even spend, in my opinion, uh, ridiculous money to make sure China can get a haircut. You know, we, we make sure the dog is uh, taken care of. Now, uh, I've taken care of our dog. And I believe if my dog could communicate with you, it would say, you know, old Steve has done really well taking care of me but I want to say this but I've I've gone a step further with my children say is your dog important well yeah of course I like my dog but my children are much better than a dog I love I'll pet that little dog I'll take it on a walk I'll, I'll be friendly with the little thing but it's nothing close to the way I would feel for my children and Jesus is making the point here that we're living in a world that places a higher value sometimes on on animals and people now that may not have been the primary intent but that certainly was the understanding and we see that in the world in which we're living today somebody shared with me this morning that the president swatted a fly and PETA condemned him for uh, harming an animal you know we have farmers in Central California. We need water. And it's like, no, we got a little fish we're worried about. There are places in the world today, literally, where you could see a child starving to death, death moments away, and a cow will walk by, and the thought could cross your mind, why doesn't somebody barbecue that thing? And the response would be, well, that cow is, is more valuable than this starving child. You know what's sad today? We think, Many today would volunteer and, and do good things to help an endangered species or something, yet so few are willing to take any stand at all for the unborn. We, our world's upside down. And so I thought I'd just take a moment to share with you today that Jesus said that uh, people are much better than, than animals. He loves it all, but listen, here's the larger teaching. You matter to God. He's caring for the world and the animals and all of it, and He cares for you as well. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. In God's economy, people are important. So we find a power in life, but as we move on in this text, we find also a peace in life. Let's look at verse 27. Verse 27. Christ is continuing. He says here, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, the question here is, how can somebody who's maybe a little uptight about their stature, how can their worrying or stressing or fretting change that at all? The obvious answer is, well, it can't. It can't. But Jesus here is not teaching that we shouldn't think of the future or plan for the future. And some have come to that conclusion here. There's, there's great wisdom in planning. And planning is different than Worrying, of course. Proverbs 21.5 says, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. That proverb is teaching us to fail to plan. is to plan to fail. And if you're not planning for uh, your uh, next upcoming trip, or if you're not planning for retirement, or if you're not planning for whatever it is in life, it's not going to go well. The Bible's not saying here, don't plan. But the Bible is making the point that we're not to worry about things that we have no control over. Again, planning is a big, big part of life, and it's very different than worrying. I shared the story, but it bears repeating of George and Jane. George was 92, Jane was 89. Maybe you remember the story. They both lost their uh, spouse of many, many years and developed a friendship in the wake of that time. And 
and their family was absolutely shocked when George and Jane shared with their family they were going to get married. Now, about 13,500 people get married every day in America. That's not unusual, but I think you could see how it would be newsworthy when a 92-year-old man and an 89-year-old lady uh, say, surprise, we're getting married. And the family was like, surprise, wow, that is a surprise. Didn't see that coming, you know. And uh, yet that's what they went through. But uh, George shared the occasion when they were walking down the uh, street one day talking about when they're going to be married and, you know, what their life's going to be like. And they they walk into a a pharmacy there and uh, one of those stores that kind of carries a little bit of everything, you know, and and, uh, they asked the clerk, is the manager in? The manager came over and introduced himself, said, what can I do for you? And and George said, I I was just wondering, is is your pharmacy here a full service pharmacy? He said, yeah, we have everything you need. All the heart medications? Sure, everything you need. He said, I'm looking around here, but uh, he, he said, do you, do you sell denture supplies here? Yeah, sure, what, whatever you would need for that, we got it. Okay, good. Do you sell Insure, Geritol? Yeah, yeah, we have all that kind of stuff. And then Jane said, how about those hose that you can put on your legs that help with the circulation? Do you have that? Yeah. Wheelchairs? Yes. Canes? Yes. Walkers? Yes. Good night, these people, you know. And then uh, they went, well, well, do you have the, uh, the plastic covers to put on the cushions of the sofa? You know, apparently you need those. Do you have the pens? They're going on and on and on. And finally, the manager said, uh, listen, yeah, yeah, we've got all this stuff, but what's with all the questions? And George kind of coyly looked at Jane, and, and uh, they looked at each other. And then George announced to the manager of the store, we're thinking, we're considering of using this store for our bridal registry. Okay, so they're planning ahead just a little bit. They, they were thinking. I, I'm all for that. Uh, big plans, that's good. But uh, the point being made is this, uh, don't worry about things you can't control. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. Worry never adds. It only subtracts. Now, I know we're pretty clever. No, I'm not worrying. I'm just thinking on it a lot. We can, we can try to co- cover it up in a variety of different ways. But I think we all battle with worry. I think Jesus didn't waste any words in this text for me. I don't think he wasted any for you. Worry is a part of life. One survey recently said 40% of the things we worry about are in the future. 12% would be health, 10% are petty things. It went on and on. Here was the conclusion of it all. 96% of the things that the typical person worries about are things we have no control over at all. At all. You see, worry is very much like a rocking chair. It gives us something to do. It just doesn't move us anywhere. It just gets us stuck in one point in life, and we worry. We understand that God's in control. When we do that, we find a peace, a peace in adversity. Psalm 118.8 says this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Why is that? Because man is not worthy of confidence. Listen, we disappoint ourselves all the time. You know, how vain, how empty would it be to tell other people, hey, trust in me, man, let me tell you. No, listen, trust in the Lord. Now, I'm grateful for relationships. I understand all that. I'm just saying, ultimately, that confidence that we need in life, it, it has to go back to God. The final thought we see here is, we find a persistence in life when we understand that God's in control. Now, we can persist with a holy optimism when we grasp the reality that reality is in the grasp of God. In verse 28, Jesus said, And why take ye thought for raiment? He's asking, in essence, why, why do you worry about things like this? The word take ye thought comes from a Greek word that means to have a divided mind. So why do you do that? 
When we worry, we're like people that have a divided mind. In fact, James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, wrote later in James 1 and verse 8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It was the very same word defined there as double-minded as the one there to take thought. The idea is this. Listen, when you're splitting your mind up to worry about this and worry about that and try to think on this, it's an entirely ineffective way to live. If you want to persist in the right way, understand this. God's in control. It's interesting to me that people of faith can be so divided. And we believe that God will one day take us to heaven when we die. We're just having a hard time trusting him to help us make it to the end of the month. And it seems so absurd that we would trust God for the eternal safekeeping of our souls, but just not sure about those other day-to-day needs that we'll have. We believe we'll be fine in the sweet by and by, but in the bitter now and now, we're just not sure. Worry stops us in our, in our tracks. It stops us. A pastor from years ago by the name of G. Campbell Morgan told a story of an occasion when a lady came to him and, and said, Pastor, do you think God would help me with my little old problems? And he said that as he thought about that, he responded to her by saying, Ma'am, do you think any of our problems are big to God? And that is the heart of the matter, my friends. The reason anxiety goes up is because our esteem for God goes down. And when our esteem for God goes up, our anxieties come down. It's like this. Big God, little problems. Little God, big problems. Jesus is just nailing us here. He's saying, look, this is how it works. Now, the Lord gives us two simple guidelines that will help us to recollect his his controlling influence. And we're going to find them in verses 33 and and 34. And I could elaborate and spend much time, but I I don't want to send you out the, the doors today without really some practical resources that you can invest in your life this week. So when I feel that that out of control is there, what do I do? 33 gives us a great insight. Here it is. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What do we do uh, to, to, to be reminded that the Lord is in control? Seek ye first the kingdom. That word seek means to hunt. That's the idea. The mental picture is some guy working, being diligent, doing everything he can. Uh, going after a goal. He's got a target in mind. And the Bible says we need to live life in such a way where we're going after the things that God would have us to go after. We've got his kingdom in mind. We are not selfishly motivated. We're motivated to give glory to God. In other words, if we go through life and we have no time for uh, God in terms of Bible reading, we don't talk to God through prayer, we're not interested in faithfulness to church, we never share the gospel with anybody ever under any circumstances, we don't give, we don't help, we don't go out of our way to uh, be our brother's keeper, and on and on I could go. The Bible is saying when you live life that way, way where you've essentially turned your back on all the things that God would say we should be interested in the byproduct is you're going to take the cares of this life on your back and we're not equipped to carry them and and there's going to be a blowout on the trailer of life at one point or another when we start carrying a load that God never designed us to carry so we need to seek first the kingdom of God verse 34 goes on to add more to that take therefore no thought for the morrow 
For the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I love that last expression. Basically, that means the day has enough problems all by itself. Okay, But what's the second thought? First thing, seek ye first the kingdom. Here's the second thought. Take therefore no thought for the, for the morrow. The idea is this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Jesus is saying, I want you to understand this. You can't use today's grace on tomorrow's problems. You've got to live one day at a time. It's like the old song, one day at a time, sweet Jesus. You ever heard that one? It's a good one. Want to hear it again real quick? You can't. I won't let you. Okay. Uh, Not doing it. But really, that's the essence of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, every day of your life, you're going to have one day's worth of stuff to go through. And every day of your life, I'm going to give you one day's worth of grace to go through it. And if you try to use your grace dealing with something that happened in the past or something in the future, you're going to frustrate today and it's going to have an impact on tomorrow. Take, therefore, on the basis of what I'm teaching you, no thought for the morrow. Don't ruin today worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about uh, 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 tomorrow. Live in the moment. God's in control. God the Son, Jesus Christ, in the greatest sermon ever preached, perhaps the most prominent passage of the most prominent sermon, he's telling us today, hey, I'm in control. He's he's saying to us today, why don't you let me be God? I'm way better at it. I, I watched you try it, and no, it's not working at all. Trust me. Trust me. I read a story a couple weeks ago that caught my attention. I caught it and cut it out and thought, boy, this will work in somewhere. It's a story that took place during World War II. There were numbers of children that were orphaned. In this case, the American soldiers got several bands of them together, you know, and decided we got to do something to help these kids, and the soldiers would you know, try and give them a little bit of food and help them out. And then they finally found a building where they could kind of put them all in. And the kids would do pretty good at, at, at the daytime. But at night, they'd tuck the children in to go to bed. And, and the stories were told of how the children would just cry all night long. And the soldiers are thinking, man, we don't know anything about kids. We don't have any idea how to help these guys. You know, we're trying to be nice to them, trying to do what we can. And and they thought, we need to get someone in here that knows something about kids. And so through a variety of channels, somebody arrived that had a little bit of uh, training, so-called, with children, you know. And, and uh, uh, to make a long story short, the discovery was made that after all these children had gone through and all the deprivation they'd endured, that they would enjoy the day, but they would come to the night. And he said the children just couldn't sleep because they were afraid, what if there's nothing to eat for tomorrow? What if there's nothing to eat for tomorrow? And so they'd cry about it all night long. The remedy to that scenario was they decided they'd tuck those kids in for bed at night and they put in all of their hands uh, a piece of bread. And they said those children, when that happened, they stopped crying, they stopped fussing, they just peacefully and quietly drift off to sleep knowing that tomorrow would, would be just fine. You know, when we worry, we're very much like those orphan children. Please hear me. What we need to hold on to is not just the control that we find in God. We need to hold on to the God that we find as he is in control. Jesus is the one to whom we can hold. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, 48, I'm the bread of life. And what he was saying in that statement is I'm everything you're ever going to need. I can meet your needs. You can find all that sustenance in me. I'll be there for you. Hold to him and you'll find comfort in his control. You see, our Heavenly Father 
knows best. In fact, our Heavenly Father always knows best. Our Heavenly Father always knows best for you. Our Heavenly Father always knows best for you, and we can all say, for me. Because we can get very general and very religious when the vote comes. How many of you believe with me that God's in control? And almost everyone we said as we started would say, yeah, he's in control. But I hope there's more than just me here today who'd say, you know, a lot of times my attitude, my demeanor, the way I handle adversity, it kind of looks like I think I'm the one in control. When I would be among the first, Lord willing, to say, no, God's in control. Why don't we let him be God today? Why don't we follow him? You say, well, man, there's so many problems. Well, would that not be his problem? If he indeed's in control? Could he not take care of it and take care of you? He says he can do it. He says, I'll take care of nature and I'll take care of you too because you're better to nature than me. He says, I love people, you know. They're the crown of it all. We can follow him because Father knows best. Our Father, we thank you today for an opportunity to, to consider these verses. I, I know much more could have been said. But I pray that of your words that we studied and gave a great emphasis that we would listen very carefully to what you said and that we would apply these truths to our lives and grow. Lord, we need your help today at this moment, right now. Right now, we need you to work in our hearts and lives. Lord, what an what a absolute waste of time it would be if we just kind of came in here, sat down for a little while and left the same way we walked in. God, don't let that happen. We're not here to play games. We're not playing church. We came to worship you and to hear from you through your word. May we be honest. Help us, we pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and we'll be on our way very soon. But in this private time, I, I wonder, maybe you're here and you'd say, you know, Pastor, as we studied those words of Jesus Christ, I would I'd confess personally, I find it to be a great message he preached and those words to be really good ones. Maybe today you'd say, you know, Pastor, I think there was value in that sermon that Jesus gave. I found personal relevance in the sermon that Jesus gave as we studied it today. And, and maybe by testimony of a raised hand, you'd say, Pastor, it was good for me to listen to what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6 today. Are there those who'd be willing just to lift a hand up real quick? Pastor, there's something in all that for me. Jesus is a really good speaker. He's a good teacher. That's great. Thanks so much. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I, I want to grow more in, in this matter of trusting that God's in control and, and following Him and, and finding all the great benefits that comes to a life when, when, you, when you just give it over to the Lord. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, one thing that, that I think on, I, I worry about sometimes is what's going to happen to me when I die? When I die. That's a big one. Well, I can, I can tell you based on the authority of the Bible, there's only two things that can happen to anybody when they die. The Bible says that if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we're trusting Him for our eternal salvation, 
The Bible says we, forgive the, uh, we receive the forgiveness of sins. And, and the Bible would say that once we die, then the judgment, we stand before God. And, and if we stand before God and we have placed our faith in Jesus, we're trusting Him for eternal salvation, that we'll spend eternity in heaven with God. That's not based on what I say. That's based on what it is the Lord has to say. But the Bible also says that if a person does not trust in Christ as their personal Savior, if they don't receive God's free gift of eternal life, as the Apostle Paul called it, they upon their death too will, will have an occasion to stand before the Lord. But heaven's not the eternal home of those that don't trust Christ for salvation. I don't even like to talk about the place. The Bible says the awful place is, is called hell. Again, I don't like to talk about it, but I must. It's in there. Maybe you'd say, you know, Pastor, sometimes I, I get a little concerned. I worry. I, I think about what's going to happen to me when I die. Well, friends, listen. The whole point of this text from the perspective of Christ was there's still hope while we're living and breathing, but none of us are assured or guaranteed or promised a tomorrow. The writer of Proverbs said, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Right now, do you know if your life were to end, you'd spend eternity in heaven? You're trying to scare us, Pastor? Look, you, you can't strong-arm people into faith. It's never, ever worked that way. It would no longer be faith. But if the Lord could use one word I'd say to, to open a heart, yeah, I, I, I would do whatever I could to help you come to the place where you knew heaven was your home. In the privacy of this moment, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. I think on that. I'm concerned about it. I'm interested in it. I'm maybe worried about it. But you'd be willing today to just lift up a hand and say, Pastor, I'm just not sure that heaven would be my eternal home. And I don't mind at all the thought of you praying for me. Are there those like that this morning? Pastor, pray with me. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe there are those who have been saved and not yet scripturally baptized or the Lord is prompting you to unite with the Coastline family. I believe the Lord can... Provoke us to do those things he'd have us to do to let us know. And if that's the way the Lord's working in your life, we'd love to hear about it. I'd like to invite you at this time, if I may, to join me in standing, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Music's beginning to play. And Brother Steve's going to come over and lead us in a song called Come Just As You Are. And if you know those words, you could sing along with them. Maybe today you'd like to spend a moment in prayer. Maybe you'd say, you know something? God is in control. And I need to give this problem I've been carrying around back to him. I need to trust him a little more. There are counselors in the front, men and ladies, and they each have a copy of God's Word with them. And maybe you just want to pray with someone or ask someone a question, gain some spiritual insight. They would love to help you. As the singing begins today, if God's touched your heart, I'll invite you to come.